pray, and then let's open our, again, we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, Lord. We do want to first pray for the offering, Lord, that uh, you would take what is given today and use it for your kingdom and for your glory, uh, including the ministries we support like Ohana and a church plant in Brazil and Bayamba and many others. And Lord, we pray that you would take what is given and multiply it and use it for your kingdom and for your glory. And Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Lord, we long for the day when we will see you face to face. And as we look at Revelation, we're so thankful that in the end, we know that you win. And because you are for us, we have nothing to fear. You are a faithful God. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, all right. So quick review, not so quick review, really, because we're at the end of the book. As we know, Revelation is not that hard of a book to understand. Again, it's got its own outline in the Revelation chapter 1, the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. The word Revelation is apocalypsis, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So the reason we read the book of Revelation, the reason it's in the Bible, it helps us better understand who Jesus Christ is, and it also lets us know what the future holds. Chapter 1, the things which were have been. We see Jesus in heaven, as we talk about. When I encourage you to read Revelation chapter 1, and you're going to see the almighty, all-powerful Son of God in all of His glory in Revelation chapter 1. And it's a reminder to us that He is no longer a baby in a manger or a Savior on a cross, but He is the Son of the living God. He is God Himself, seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us, who is going to rapture us and take us home and then return with us and rule and reign upon the earth for a thousand years. That's our God. Amen? Chapter 2 and 3 is the what age? Church age. Church mentioned 19 times, and we see that that's the time of, of history we're living in now. And as you go through the church age, the last church is the church of Laodicea, known as the lukewarm church. Many people believe the churches, the seven churches, are laid out uh, in the way that they were going to take place historically through time, and that we would be in the time of the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, where Jesus says, be hot or cold, I'd rather, I'd rather you be hot or cold, or I'll spew you out of my mouth. And as believers, we need to get to a place where we're not satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Then we're not satisfied with just to get out a help-free card, having our fire insurance, and then living like the world. God has a greater and a higher plan and a higher calling for you and me than that. Amen? Chapter 4 to 19, we see the righteous judgment of God coming upon the earth. We saw first, John is raptured. Chapter 4, verse 1, the word is harpazo. Again, in Latin, it's rapturo, where we get the word for rapture. He is snatched up, and from that point forward, John writes from a heavenly perspective. And we do not see the church mentioned anymore till we get to the very end of the book. So from chapter 4 to chapter 9, it's a seven-year period known as what? The Great Tribulation. So during the tribulation, that seven-year period, God's going to be bringing righteous judgment upon the earth. But even in his righteous judgment, his desire is that people would get saved. And I truly believe that during the great tribulation, the more people will get saved in that seven-year period than any seven-year period in human history. That's Pastor Dave's opinion, okay? But I truly believe that because we're going to see 144,000 Jewish Billy Graham sharing their faith. We're going to see the, the two witnesses who are going to be struck down dead and get back up. I think it's Moses and Elijah. We're going to see an angel speak from heaven, getting people's attention, and many will be saved. Sadly, most will align with the Antichrist. The Antichrist will enter into a treaty with Israel, and they will be duped. And the whole world, through the false prophet, will start following, much of the world, will start following the Antichrist. And to follow him, to buy and sell, to have food in a time of great famine, to be able to survive when hailstones are falling from the sky and a third of the world's population is dying in a single day, and the rivers are turned to blood and heavy-duty stuff that we've seen in the text, he is going to lead them somehow by uniting them through the false religion, making himself God. So for three and a half years, they're going to be duped by him. At the center of that three and a half years, he's going to reveal himself for who he is. It's called the abomination of desolation. We're going to see that in Daniel. By the way, when we finish Revelation, I would usually go back to Matthew. We will go back to Matthew, but we're going to teach through Daniel first because Daniel and Revelation are so tied together, so much of the prophecy. So I'm looking forward to that. So at the end of the tribulation, again, we're coming to that point now here in Revelation. 
So I'm going to go back to the beginning of the text and just give you a quick overview on what we've seen so far in Revelation 20. And then we're going to look at verses 7 through 15 this morning. So I titled the message, I changed it a little bit. It's the same outline pretty much with a few minor changes. Last week it was the millennial kingdom. This morning it's the righteous judgment of God. It's a righteous judgment of Satan and all those who choose to follow him and reject the redemptive work of the cross of Calvary. Everybody in here is either a friend of God or an enemy of God. You're either born again or you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're either a saint or an ain't. Amen? You've either given your life to the Lord or you have not. And there is no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. You can't be kind of saved just like you can't be kind of pregnant. Amen? You're saved, you're not, right? Either know him or you don't. And so last week we looked at Satan is bound for a thousand years. You know, when the Lord comes back, when he comes back with us at the end of the tribulation, there's going to be a a war that takes place. We saw in chapter 19 in Armageddon. We will visit that place when we go to Israel here in a few months. And when you look down, what's going to happen is they're all going to be gathered together to fight against each other. Then they're going to turn to war against the Lord. He's going to come back on a white horse. When he came into Jerusalem, he rode a donkey, an animal of peace. A white horse is an animal of war. And we are going to be on white horses behind him. And we will not need any armor. We're just going to get behind Jesus and let him take care of it. Can I get an amen to that? And he is going to wipe out the enemy. It's not even going to be a war. We're going to see another another such event. Well, after that takes place, he's going to bind Satan for a thousand years during the Great Tribulation while we're ruling and reigning with the Lord. So Satan will be bound, which means he can't tempt. He can't deceive, right? He can't steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to be chained up for a thousand years. And again, there are people that believe we're in the millennial kingdom right now, which would mean Satan is chained. And as you've heard me say many times, he'd have to be an awful long chain because he's wreaking havoc still. Amen? So we see that Satan will be bound for a thousand years and we will rule and reign with the Lord. Point number two there, we will rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years. We went over these last week, but they bear repeating for encouragement. Only those who died in Christ will return. So the people that will come back who have died and will come back for the millennial reign will have been people who are born again believers only. The people that did not believe in Christ will not come back. They will remain in Hades until the great white throne judgment that we're going to see this morning. So we're going to, again, only those who died in Christ will return. It's called the first resurrection. It's a resurrection of blessing and power and privilege. There will be no pain We won't age. We'll be like Jesus after his resurrection. We'll be unable to die. And we can eat whatever we want, and there's no weight gain. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get him into that? No politics. Thank you, Lord. We're not even going to need a police department. And praise God for our police department, our military. Can I get him into that? But that being said, we won't need it because Jesus is going to be in control. And if people go outside of his will, he's going to bring righteous judgment. Now, there'll be two groups of people during the millennial reign. There'll be human beings who have come through the great tribulation. At the end of the great tribulation, it says that Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. And those who don't know the Lord will be cast away. Those who have faithfully served him will come through the great tribulation. Those who didn't get martyred. And they will be in bodies like we have now. We will come back, I believe, bodies like the bodies Jesus had when he rose from the dead when he walked through the wall, when he came in on to the upper room. And again, notice that Jesus still ate, so we'll be eating during the millennial kingdom, so I can still have tri-tip. Thank you, Jesus. And in the midst of all that, though, we will be creatures that are infinite. Uh, we will be without pain, without suffering, and we cannot die, and we cannot sin. Who's down for that? We cannot sin. The sin nature will be taken away. Praise the Lord, I cannot wait. And so, but at the same time, the people will be ruling and reigning over those who've come through the tribulation. I talked about it last week. We have about 8 billion people on the planet. Right now, I'm you know, just guessing, maybe 2 billion get raptured. Then we see half the world's population die during the great tribulation. And then another percentage that are going to die during the, 
when Jesus comes back during Armageddon, and then we're going to have some separated like the sheep and the goats. So it could be as many as a billion people on the earth, and they're going to be multiplying over a thousand years. And I also believe, this is just my opinion, that we're going to go back to where we live much longer lives, the people, those people that are human. They're going to live much longer lives because it's not going to have some, some of the impact of a fallen world. And so what's going to happen is we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And as we saw last week, that God is preparing you even now to serve then. Part of what you're going through now that you may not understand in this lifetime, God may use it as you served in the millennial kingdom. So all citizens of the earth will submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I cannot wait for that. Can I get an amen to that? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There'll be no war. Our relationship with animals is transformed. My wife's really excited about this. She's always wanted to pet lions and panthers and leopards. I'm like, babe, you know, millennial kingdom. You know, because it says a child will lead lions and bears and animals. He'll play by the viper's nest without any fear. So our relationship with animals will change. It just will be, again, a lot like the Garden of Eden. King David will rule over Israel and Jerusalem, and that will be the capital of the government of Jesus. So he's going to be ruling and reigning over the whole earth. The headquarters, in a sense, will be Jerusalem and again, because God's not done with it, isn't it amazing that Israel ceased to be a nation for almost 2,000 years, then it became a nation again? And the Bible tells us in Matthew 24 that when you, when you see that generation, when you see that fig tree blooming again, that this generation will not pass away till the coming of the Son of Man. And many have different interpretations of that. But you know what? There's people that are living right now that are part of the generation when, when Israel became a nation again, and you know what? I don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the season. And guys, we're in rapture season. Amen? And then we also will see that Satan will be given response. Uh, the saints will be given responsibilities according to their faithful service. And it will be a time of purity and devotion to the Lord. So we saw all of that last week. I'm excited about the millennial kingdom. I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to the rapture of the church. And now, this morning, we're going to look at the righteous judgment of God. Because he's, he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. He's a God of love, grace, and mercy, but he's also a righteous God and a holy God. So he must judge sin. So the two points we're going to look at this morning, Satan is briefly released after a thousand years. So he's going to be chained up for a thousand years, and the people that live during the tribulation, as the population is growing, these people have really been living only with the Lord to follow, without that temptation that comes from the enemy. And then Satan is going to be loosed, and he is going to bring temptation to people who've been living under the Lord's command, many probably for hundreds and hundreds of years. And what is mind-blowing is many of those people, when Satan is loosed, are going to abandon Jesus and follow Satan. Even having seen Jesus on the throne, Having seen the world with him in control, when Satan is loosed, he will continue to deceive many. He will build up a new army and they will attempt to attack Almighty God. And this time, Satan is crushed once and for all. He will be banished to the lake of fire and he will never get out and we'll never see him again. And thank you, Jesus. Amen? Be gone forever, defeated. Remember the serpent, right? It talks about crushing his head. Jesus did that on the cross, and this is when it comes to an end. And then after that, we're going to see the great white throne judgment. And again, this is not a trial, but a sentencing. So the great white throne judgment will take place, and only unbelievers will be there. Now, there's some people that might disagree with that theologically, but most, people, most commentators, myself included, believe it's so clear that we will not be there. The great white throne judgment will not be a trial, but a sentencing for unbelievers, where they will be shown their opportunities to be saved, my opinion. They will be shown the, the, the rejection of the Lord. They will be brought before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And because they have rejected him, they will face the righteous judgment of God. We will not be there because our price was already paid on the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? For us, that sin problem has been redeemed and forgiven and washed away. And he sees us through the shed blood of his son, and we are white as snow. My question for all of you as we get into the text, we're going to see that the people that will be at the great white throne judgment are all the people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And here's the question for all of you. Just between you and the Lord, take a moment. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Is your name there? I had several people this week, and I'm going to break off just for a few minutes during the message, but I had several people this week calling me concerned about whether or not they're really saved. Am I really saved? How do I know if I'm really saved? Have any of you ever had those doubts in your life ever? Okay, there's a lot of us that do. My prayer is at the end of today, if, they, if that doubt is there, we're going to wipe that away. Can I get an amen to that? All right, so let's begin there looking at the righteous judgment of God. We're going to pick up there in verse 7, when Satan is briefly released after a thousand years. It says, now when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from prison. Now, I've done prison ministry off and on for about 20 years. This is one prison I have no desire to go to to talk to them about anything. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> they're judged, they're done, game over, they've been chained up, and now the Lord is going to loose them. So he'll be released. He's been bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. As Jesus reigned, Satan was bound and inactive. But after a thousand years, Satan will be released and will successfully organize many people of the earth in another rebellion against God. After Jesus has reigned so wonderfully for a thousand years, why in the world would the earth rebel? But here's what it teaches us. Here's one of the main things that I see in this. So many people today, when you talk to them about the Lord, they'll say, well, if there is a God, it's not fair because I grew up in a horrible environment. And my environment is the reason that I live the life that I live. And I want to say this. I don't want to downplay the fact that if you grew up in a rough environment, yeah, that's something that can have a great impact on your life. But here's the good news. No matter what environment you grew up in, our God is greater and he will forgive you. And he's a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God. And he will draw you unto himself. And you know, when you look at some of the people who use most mightily in the word of God, they're people that come from the most difficult of circumstances, but often it becomes an excuse. Well, yeah, my life's a mess because... And if you've been coming to Second Chronicles, we have a godly king followed by an ungodly king, followed by a godly king, followed by an ungodly king, because God has no grandchildren, and all of us are going to make our own decision about who we are in Christ. But what will take place, they will do it, God will allow it as a final demonstration of man's own rebellion and depravity. Adam and Eve, did they have any bad environment? Did they have not the best environment ever? And they walked in the cool of the day and could just talk to the Lord, just like, you know, like we're talking to each other. No, nobody died. Lions laying down with lambs. Everything's perfect. God brought him a perfect wife, right? Until she talked to somebody. Who was it? And what did he say? Did God really say? Here's the, here's Satan's tactics have not changed. He's always going to try to get you to question the word of God. And I get texts and stuff all the time. I'm getting them all the time now. It's more than ever. And they'll say stuff like, okay, pastor, what about this verse? And then, you know, when you take a text out of context, all you get left is a con. And you got people that have never studied the Bible and they don't know the author and they try to get a gotcha verse. And then when you explain it to them, they just get frustrated and leave. Here's the reality the reality is that Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants you dead. He wants to destroy you. And one of the things he will do is try to take you away from the truth because he is the father of lies. Amen? Jesus is the truth. The word of God is the truth. You know, there's only two things that are going to survive the great tribulation and, and, and at the end of the millennial kingdom, us and God's word. His word endures forever, the Bible says. Of course, that points to Jesus, but also his word. So, while outward conformity to Jesus' rule will be required during his reign, it seems that the inward embrace of his lordship will still be up to the individual because they're going to get in line during the thousand years because God's in control and he's not going to withstand uh, ungodliness. He's not going to have it. And so if people are getting outside of his will, he's going to judge it righteously and judge it immediately. And so most people will be walking and following him faithfully, but then when they're given free will again, when Satan comes and tries to draw them away, we're going to see that many will walk away. Why after experiencing the power, the presence, and holiness of God, why would they rebel? Again, why did Adam and Eve rebel? Has to go beyond outward conformity to the law, to a transformed heart that follows the Lord out of love for him and a life surrendered to him. Which of those describes your life? You're conformed because you just don't want to go to hell and you know your life's been kind of a mess and you just, you know, I, I want to make sure that when I die that I'm okay. And again, coming to the Lord and being, as, seeing him as your savior is amazing. But guys, that's not enough. 
Because if we truly want him to, we want him to be more than our Savior, but our Lord. Amen? Not just somebody that we believe in and keep it at an arm's distance and put that get out hell free card in our wallet. We want to walk in intimate fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so what's taking place is there'll be those, they've been staying in line for a thousand years and then Satan comes back and starts to tempt them and they're going to go, I'm going for it. They're going to abandon the Lord because what they had is more of a trying to be conformed to the law than a real relationship with the Lord. If you have a real relationship with the Lord, you may have times of rebellion and even times when you backslide for a moment, but you will never leave because the conviction of the Holy Spirit will always draw you back home. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit will never leave you. The Lord will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And so those who walk away, I always get that question, well, he lost his salvation. Here's what I would say. He was never saved. Because if I'm born again, I'm never leaving. Can I get an amen to that? Now I sin all the time. I'm a sinner saved by grace like the rest of you, okay? But the difference is I hate my sin. How about you? I hate it. Grieves me. When Satan is let loose, the heart of those not fully surrendered to the Lord will be revealed. You find out in that moment. Look at verse 8. And will go out and deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, that's in Ezekiel 38, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. In this, we see the important reason God has for the millennial kingdom and allowing this final rebellion. For all of human history, man has wanted to blame, again, his sinful behavior on his environment. But of course, it's really the heart of man. With no Satan, no crime, no violence, no evil, no other social nonsense, no politics, none of that. And we'll be walking with the Lord and we'll, be, we'll walk in the cool of the day. We will see Jesus face to face. And in the end of that, when Satan is loosed, after that thousand years, we're going to see those who just kind of submitted out of contrition. I'm not talking about people that have died. I'm not talking about any of us. I'm talking about the people that are still in human bodies that have made it through the great tribulation or born during the millennial kingdom. And now they're going to have their opportunity to choose to continue to follow the Lord or to abandon the Lord and follow the enemy. Gog and Magog are prophetic enemies of Israel in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And the battle in those chapters happens before this battle, but they are listed as enemies of God. And again, I wonder who's going to win this battle. Gee, let me think. This is, this is, this is better than Mike Tyson against Pee Wee Herman, man. It's, you know, it's worse than that. Dude, it's game over. You got no shot, bro. You know, you're done. You're going to get wiped out. And you know what's good? We're on God's side. We're on God's side. Well, that's what we need to remember. And by the way, he's for you. No matter what you're going through, he's for you. And he loves you. And he's faithful. And he's merciful. He's preparing a place for you. And he's interceding for you right now. He's praying on your behalf. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, right? He proved it on the cross. That's our God. And so there's a choice. And that's a choice we all have to make. It's around God's people. Look at verse 9. It says there, They went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. What city do you think that might be? Jerusalem. And it says, And the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. There we go. Game over. Pee Wee Herman got one step out of the corner and he was done. <laughs> Reality is here that they're going to surround the believers and sometimes we feel like we're surrounded by the world and the things of the world and the trials of, the life, of this life and the suffering that we're going through and the grief that we're bearing and all those things that we deal with. And we need to be reminded that when God shows up, the enemy is wiped out and that these things are not permanent. These, the suffering is for but a little while. And I'm so thankful for that. So we all have to make a choice. And for a thousand years, mankind will be living on an idyllic planet no more disease, total prosperity, Satan nowhere in sight. There will be two races of human beings on the earth. Again, those who have the glorified bodies, that will be us. 
and, and those, uh, those of us who've been raptured and have new bodies. And in our new bodies, we will no longer have a sin nature. We will not be tempted by Satan. There will also be a new race of people on earth who will be the descendants of those who came uh, to Christ during the tribulation and somehow survived without being martyred. And the kids and future generations from those people will repopulate the earth and they will still have their old bodies with the old sin nature but without having Satan around to tempt them and having the Lord in their presence to lead them. And then when Satan is released for a time to see how mankind will respond, I think the release of Satan is all about giving this race of people in, the old, in their old bodies a chance to make a decision, follow God or rebel. And here's, that's the truth about all of us. We're either in rebellion or fellowship. You can't have both. If you choose to rebel against God, you're not in fellowship with God. If you're in fellowship with God while you have sinful moments and you repent and you're broken and you stay on your knees and pray, you don't walk in open rebellion against God. God has always given man a choice, again, from the Garden of Eden when he allowed them to be tempted. You know, Joshua wrote in Joshua 24, and it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, whether the others, gods on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Guys, we have a choice to make. You can't even get by without saying you don't want to choose. No decision is a decision. The undecided have decided. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, you're standing on a railroad track the train is coming, and no decision is a decision. If you don't decide to get off the track, you're going to get hit by the train. Amen? And in our walk with the Lord, well, I'm undecided. And I talk to people a lot that say they're undecided, and I appreciate that. I love that perspective, because then I love to help show them how they can make a decision for the Lord. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're undecided. You know what? No decision is a decision. If you're not for Him, you're against Him. I want to just share something real quickly here for about four or five minutes. Because I believe this has been so heavy the last couple of weeks, and I just want to make sure our whole church hears it. And we actually saw it yesterday in the men's study. So as believers, our choice doesn't end at salvation. So we are justified just as if we never sinned when we give our life to Jesus Christ. And now we're being sanctified until the day we are glorified. That's where the word saint comes from. It's set apart one. So we're set apart from the world and unto the Lord. Now we see a clear picture of this. In the children of Israel, they were in bondage in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. For 430 years, they were in bondage. Why were they there? Because of their own sin, their own rebellion against the true and living God. And they'd been, in, they'd been in bondage for 430 years. So they cry out to the Lord and the Lord hears their cry. And when he hears their cry, he sends a deliverer, Moses, who in many ways is kind of a type of the Lord. But we're going to see that Joshua ultimately is the type of the Lord. And so he comes and they bring the the plagues upon Egypt, and finally Pharaoh lets the people go. Which plague took place that made him let the people go? What was it? Passover. Remember the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. So what happened is they brought lambs in, they had to examine them for four days, make sure that they were perfect. Then they had to slit this poor little precious lamb's throat. Then they take the blood of the lamb, and it's not enough to sacrifice the lamb, the blood must be applied. So they take the blood and they applied it to the top of the door, both sides of the door and the foot of the door threshold. And that's a perfect picture of a cross a couple thousand years before crucifixion. Amen? So because of the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross, they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. But notice then they started heading away. They took all, you know, they, they made haste. They took, you know, valuables and they started heading toward the land of promise. We know what happened. As soon as they had been set free, that the enemy changed his mind and sent his army running after the Israelites. And we know that they come to the Red Sea. They're, they're, they're bound on both sides. They got the sea behind them. And here comes the greatest army on the planet. Now, here's the application. When you give your life to Jesus Christ and you have been born again, that's that picture, delivered out of the world because of the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross. I promise you the enemy will not let up. He's going to come after you and make you want to doubt whether you're saved, make you want to doubt whether or not you've truly been delivered out of bondage. And if you'll remember, so as the army is coming, the people that have just been delivered start complaining. Did you bring us out here to die? 
And then Moses goes and stands before the Red Sea and he holds up his staff and God parts the sea and they walk through it. And when they get to the other side, the great army of the Egyptians is following them and all of the Pharaoh's people did the dead man float. Amen? If you were in Sunday school, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, fine. And so I believe that the Red Sea is a type or picture of water baptism. So here they are, they've been delivered out of bondage and no longer in the world. And now they're being led by the Lord. And now they pass through the water. And again, a picture of baptism. What is baptism? It's an outward statement of an inward change. It's letting the world know that I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I haven't just been delivered out of bondage, but I publicly let the world know. Now they come to Mount Sinai. God speaks from Mount Sinai. Moses goes up Sinai. They're given the law. When he comes down from getting the law, what are the people doing? They're worshiping golden calves. And then God brings righteous judgment upon those who are doing it. He calls the Levites to strike them down. Now, they leave Mount Sinai, and God puts a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to lead them. It's only an 11-day walk from Egypt to Canaan, the land of promise. So they make the walk, they get there, and the Lord had told them that the land belonged to them, and all they needed to do was step into the land, and they would inherit all of the land. So what did they do? They sent in 12 spies. And 10 came back saying what? Oh, it's giants in the land. We're the grasshoppers. They're going to crush us. We're all going to die. We're doomed. We can't do it. You're right. You can't do anything, but our God can do everything. Amen? Guys, when you look in your own strength, you're always going to feel overwhelmed. Well, we know that Joshua and Caleb come back and go, dude, yeah, it's just like God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They had grapes the size of cantaloupes when they came back. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and our God is for us. And because the other, they listened to the 10 whiners instead of the two faithful, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. So this is a picture of the life of most Christians today. Pastor Dave's opinion, okay? Here's what happens. You've got the get out of hell free card. You've given your life to Jesus Christ, but you've never entered into all that God has for you. See, to me, the Jordan River the Red Sea is a picture of baptism. The Jordan River is a picture of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you notice that when they did finally go into the land of promise, it didn't part until they put their foot in the, in the, in the Jordan, same place where Jesus would be baptized, right? So they put their foot in the Jordan, it splits, and they enter into God's promise. Now, a lot of people equate Canaan to heaven. It's not heaven. It's a spirit-filled life because when they get there, are there still giants there? What's the answer? Do they still face trials and enemies? But the difference is now the Lord is with them. And they're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the battle belongs to the Lord. And God will bring them victory. Guys, my prayer is if you've been wandering between Egypt and Canaan, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, but you've never fully surrendered to him, not living sold out and set apart for him, making him more than just your Savior, but making him your Lord, my prayer is that today you will choose to make him not just your Savior, but the Lord of your life. And you will surrender your life fully to him. And you will ask him to fill you with this Holy Spirit and to to leave this place a different person than you've ever been in your entire life. See, that's the picture. That's the picture. Saved soul, wasted life, wandering in the wilderness. How many, how many fruitful things they do in the wilderness? People are dropping dead 20,000 a day, roughly, if you take the numbers. People are just dropping dead all around you. Why? Because you didn't enter into God's highest. And again, as believers, many people are Alan Redpath said this, you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. And to me, that's my, I want my life to have purpose. How about you? I want my life to impact eternity. I want my life to be surrendered fully to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am, use me. Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. I want to be used for your kingdom and for your glory. See, we're not going to go to the great white throne judgment. We are going to go to the Bema Seat judgment. And at the Bema Seat judgment, we will not be judged between salvation and being lost. We will be judged on how faithful we were with the gifts God gave us for his kingdom and for his glory. And there will be rewards in heaven, which I am blown away by. So he saves us. He redeems us. He forgives us. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. He gives us gifts. And if we use them, he rewards us. That's, a, that's our God. Amen? Now, people say, I don't want any rewards. Well, the Bible tells us you should. We want to run the race. We want to finish well. Amen? Hey, uh, can I just be super transparent with you guys? Since Mark has died, my life is different. Just being super transparent. It's really hard sometimes. Sometimes I'm in my car by myself, and I'm just undone. When, when, when my son died, part of me died with him. 
But you know what keeps me going? It's I know God has a calling on my life. And I go to know that God's not done with me, and he's not done with my wife, and he's not done with the rest of our family. But there are times when it's like, can we just go to heaven and I'll be together there? Can we just do that right now? So if you're the person who needs to get saved to keep us from going there, let's be about it today. Can I get an amen to that? Because <laughs> the Bible says in the fullness of the Gentiles, we go to heaven. And if you're keeping me from seeing Mark, I'm going to knock you out in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> so let's be about it. So my prayer, my prayer for all of us is that we would not just be, you know, the, the Christian that just checks in. The person that goes to church, once, you know, whenever it's convenient, when your favorite football team or NASCAR is not on TV. You know, or, you know, and it just kinda, you're just kind of cruising through life, and your life's really not having an impact for eternity. Let me just include you, clue you in. God wants your life to have an impact for eternity. And he has called you, and he has gifted you, and he wants to use you. And my heart is that we will be a people that are used mightily by the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? So I know that was a sidetrack, Okay. But I've shared that from my heart because this is the conversation I've been having over and over and over for the last several weeks. And I felt like our whole church needed to hear it, especially in light of the judgment that is to come. So verse 9, he says there at the end of it, and the fire came down from God and devoured them. There's no army. There's no list of an army here. God doesn't need an army. No white horses. We shouldn't even call this a final battle because there's no battle. The fight is over before it begins. God finally deals with the devil and his followers forever. Done. When this happens, it's over. Satan, you're done. You're cast away. We're never going to be tempted again. And again, for us, when we come back to the millennial kingdom, we'll be unable to be tempted, but other humans will. And all of that's going to pass away. And we're going to be in the presence of Almighty God and see what it would be like to live in his presence with no sin, no sorrow, no death, no suffering, and again, no, no nature to even do that. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Now remember that when people die that don't know the Lord, they go to Hades. Read Luke 16 great chapter on Lazarus and the rich man. You see the rich man's in torment. He can look across and see paradise, which is where believers went before Jesus went to the cross. What did he say to the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me where? Okay, so paradise was kind of a waiting station until Jesus went to the cross, suffered and died, and then he came and escorted them all into heaven. When the Bible talks about him going down to the depths, he did not go suffer in hell like some people teach. Jesus never suffered in hell. He never had to suffer in hell, and that's blasphemous when people say it. Can I get him into that? What he did was he brought the saints and delivered them into the presence of the Father in heaven. Now, Hades is where all the unbelievers who have disregarded God are in a place of torment now but it's not the lake of fire. Now, it's not going to take place until the great white throne judgment that's coming up. But here's what we need to know, is that the false prophet and the antichrist were so vile that the Lord, in the previous chapter, takes both of them and throws them into the lake of fire a thousand years early. Like, you're not even, we're not even going to do the judgment for you. You're done. Sticks them, throws them right into the lake of fire. So when Satan comes into the lake of fire, they will already have been there a thousand years. You know, every time I teach through Luke 16, I do it often at funerals. I think about the fact that that was over 2,000 years ago, and that rich man is still in the same place, and he's still suffering the same torment. And guys, it should break our hearts to think about anybody being in that place of torment. And again, nobody cares more about it than the Lord does, but he won't force salvation on anyone, amen? And so the devil is going to be cast away and there will be tormented there day and night forever and ever. The word there in Greek is ages and ages. It never stops. There's no timeouts in heaven. There's no break. There's no snack time, right? I mean, you're just, you're there, you're in torment, and we're going to have new bodies, and so are the people that die. We're going to have bodies that are glorious, that are like the Lord's body when he was here. They're going to be given bodies that it can endure torment forever and never die, even when they want to die. Now, a lot of people struggle with this. What kind of loving God would send people to hell? Let me clue you all in. Hell was made for Satan. Amen? And it's man that chose to reject God and follow the enemy. And so we get to spend eternity with the one that we're following. So who are you following? Because if you're following the Lord, death has no sting. 
After this aborted battle, Satan is judged and tormented forever with the beast and the Antichrist. And again, the beast and the Antichrist had been there a thousand years already, and hell is everlasting punishment with absolutely no escape. And again, hell was meant for Satan. We see it in Matthew 25. It says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So if people end up in hell, it's not because God designed hell for them, or that even that they, again, had no choice, but it's because they chose to reject God and follow the enemy. The Bible tells us clearly that God loved the world and gave his son to die for us. And God does not wish that any should perish. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack in turning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When Jesus died on the cross, this is what a commentator said. I don't want this to sound too flip, but it's a good statement. He said, when Jesus died on the cross, it's as, it's as if he was saying, you're only going to hell over my dead body. Everybody that goes to hell will have to run over the cross of Christ to get there. They'll have to reject all that has been done for them. Salvation is offered universally. It must be accepted individually. When Jesus died on the cross, again, he paid the price, and there will be humans sent to the lake of fire. And if you end up in hell, it's only because you chose today to reject Jesus. Amen? Every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. How can we walk by people every day that are going to hell and not even try to engage them? I'm, I'm talking with you, not at you. How can we do that? Lord, give us a deeper burden and a passion for people. I have found myself in the last couple of years that I'll see people in the crosswalk and I start weeping and I'm praying for them. And I just try to see where they're going so I can jump out of my car and talk to them. You know what I mean? If I ever get arrested for, you know, stalking, it's not really... <laughs> But the point is that, that people are going to hell without Jesus all around us. And sometimes we're too busy and too caught up to reach out to them. The cost of sin resolved in only one of two places, eternity in hell or on the cross of Calvary. Everybody's sin will be paid for. It's either going to be paid for by you, eternity in hell, or you allow Jesus to pay for it on the cross of Calvary. That's the only two places it can be paid for. So point number one there we saw... Satan briefly released after a thousand years, then he's crushed. Now we're going to take a look at the great white throne judgment. Now watch what happens here. Then I saw a great white throne. This is John, of course, having the vision. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, for whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. Now, who's the him sitting on that throne? Who do you think that is? That's Jesus. Now, talks about this throne a great white throne, great in status, power, and authority. It's a white throne, which speaks of purity and holiness. And it's a throne speaking of the sovereignty and royalness of God, the fact that he's the king. And him who said on it, again, John 5 in the Bible tells us, John 5, 27 says this, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. So we know that the one that will judge in the end is Jesus Christ. It's not even the father, it's the son. It's the son who went to the cross, and it's the son who will judge the earth. It says, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Earth and heaven will flee from the throne, the righteous judgment of God. To me, this is being called in when you know you're guilty, and you know you're in trouble. And in this case, it's the worst trouble you could ever be in, and people are going to try to run away from it. Guys, we don't have to worry about the judgment of God, because again, our judgment was paid for. Our sins were paid for on the cross. So we can come boldly before the throne of grace. The veil's been torn. We can enter into his presence even now. We will have the beam of seed judgment. I do think some of us, myself included, will probably be at that judgment and there'll be things shown to me that I could have done that I didn't. Sometimes I like to live my life backwards. I do this often. I'll think about the beam of seed judgment standing before the Lord and having him talk to me about my entire life. And when that happens, it'll be too late to go back and fix it. Amen? And I'm talking about areas where I could have served, people I could have reached out to, things I should have done that I didn't. But here's the good news. It's not too late now. Amen? I envision myself in that spot and I go, well, okay, it's not too late now. Lord, show me. Show me, please. What else have you called me to do? Where am I lacking in following you? And notice what it says there. And there is no place found 
for them. There is absolutely no place to hide from the righteous judgment of God upon unbelievers. For those who reject the Lord and his you know, free gift of salvation, there's no escape from the righteous judgment of God. Again, there's no reincarnation. There's no second chances. If you've got faith or unbelief, there's no neutral ground. Where are you at with the Lord? There's no escaping the righteous judgment of God. But there is, as long as you're breathing in and out on this planet, because you can surrender your life today, and you will escape the righteous judgment of God. Amen? Most biblical scholars, again, believe that Christians will not have anything to do with this judgment at all. And I truly believe that as well. The idea is that we are spared from this awesome throne of judgment because our sins have already been judged at the cross. We don't escape God's judgment. Jesus satisfied it for us. Amen? Amen. Propitiation. He paid the price on our behalf. Now, Christians will, again, have to stand at the throne. 2 Corinthians 5.10 is where we are judged by the Lord, the Bema Seed Judgment. You might want to go and read that. So Jesus is on the throne because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. This is in Acts 17. By the man whom he ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising from the dead. Because Jesus is risen, it proves that he has the power to not only overcome sin, but to judge it. It is for unbelievers, John 3, 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You can't just believe in God. You must surrender your life to Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. You cannot come to the Father apart from the Son. Amen? So you can't, well, I believe in God. The demons believe and tremble. That's not getting you into heaven. People use the term God. I don't even like to use the term God that much, only because God can be, you know, a Hindu God. It can be a Muslim God. It can be a, you know, a, a New Age God. I don't like that term as much as Jesus is the name. Amen? It's the only name under heaven by which men must be saved. Now watch what happens. So he, he's up to the throne. He sees the throne. This is John in his vision from heaven. And as he's there, he looks down and he sees the throne of God and he sees Jesus on the throne. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So there's two books. One of them records all of our sin. Who wants a copy of that? That's one book I would burn. Can I get an amen to that? So there's one book that's going to open up and it's got all the sin of your life recorded. And there's another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And if your name's in this book, then your name is no longer in that one. Amen? Amen? Or if it is, it's got your name in a bunch of blank pages because it's all been washed away. Amen? So these books are opened. And if you're not in the Lamb's Book of Life, they pull out the other book. Okay. Joe Schmo, get up here. Let's start reading your, your, by the way, we've got forever. So here we go. <laughs> and there's going to be no doubt that all of us, in his case especially, is guilty. Now again, we, we are guilty because we were sinners, but we're now redeemed and forgiven and we're made righteous. Amen? Amen. We're holy. So standing before God, not a trial to determine the facts. The facts are in. It's a sentencing. You're going to open up the book and read through it, and this is what you did, and here's your other sin, as you did, adultery and lust and pride and anger, and just read through it, and it's going to be, you know, volumes and go through it all, and at the end of it, you go, you're guilty. Okay. Depart from me, I never knew you. Cast into the lake of fire. Gone forever. That's what's going to happen. And it's going to be too late, but it's not too late right now. Amen? Because this is a sentencing and not a trial, those who stand before the throne have nothing to say. Many think they'll stand before God and tell him a thing or two at the final judgment. Well, if there is a God, I've got some words. Well, yeah, I don't think so. Your time's going to be dominated reading your sins. Amen? Now, I saw this in a commentary. I don't typically read this kind of stuff, but it really kind of hit home for me. And we want to pray for this woman. It was to dear Abby. It says, I'm troubled with something a reader wrote. What right do mortals have to demand an explanation from God? Abby, that writer, has never known the gut-riching pain of losing a child. God didn't answer my prayers. And I recent, I've been, you know, 
And I recently being now told that I have no right to question God. If there is a God, and if I ever get to meet him face to face, you bet your life, I got plenty of whys for him to answer. I want to know why my little girl died. I want to know why the drunk that hit her was allowed to go on living. I love her more than my own life. I miss her. I'm mad that I'm having to live in a world where she no longer lives, and I want to know why. Why shouldn't I have the right to ask God why? Are we supposed to be created in His image? If so, surely He has a heart and soul capable of hurting just as I hurt. Why would He not expect me to be questioned if He has anything to do with miracles? I don't fear God. I don't fear hell because I live there now having lost my daughter. I've already been living that life since the day she died, signed a bereaved mother. Now, I understand when we go through trials that we think that we need to question God. But here's, you know who questions God? People that don't know him. If you know him, if you know his character, if you know his love and his grace, if you know his comfort in the midst of the trials, the question's never why. It's what do you want to teach me, Lord, and how do you want to use this for your glory? Now look, I understand this woman's heart. I get it. People say to me often, Pastor Dave, you've endured the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. That's not true, because the worst thing would be is that either my son or, me, or myself did not know the Lord. So what this woman is experiencing, not knowing the Lord, is far worse than what I'm experiencing. Because I know that, the Lord, I know that my son's in heaven, I know that I'm going to see him again. But the point of this is that we, when we come to the Lord, if we know the Lord, even though we have moments where we don't like the way things turned out. Anybody ever had that happen? Okay. We don't like the way things turned out. We, you know, we prayed fervently about something and God said, by the way, he answers all prayers sometimes. He says, no. Amen. But then we, and then, you know, you look back at your life and you see the divine hand of God through all of it. Amen. So we have to learn to trust that God is smarter than us. He loves us more than we can ever send. Let me ask you a question. Does God love my son more than I love him? Absolutely. Not even close. Does the Lord love this woman's daughter more than she does? This was written like 30 years ago. I pray this woman came to know the Lord. Amen. I pray that she came to that place. But again, what will happen is we want to doubt God and question God because we're using our own intellect and people that question him the most are the ones that know him the least because I know him. I've been a Christian for 55 years. I know him. I love him. I trust him. I want to obey him. I want to serve him. And I want to tell everyone else about him. Amen? So the great white throne, there's no, there's no escape. Your deeds were judged according to their works. So it's, it's not, we're going to pull out your works and see if you qualified. It's going to show your ungodly works and that, you're, that you didn't qualify. Amen? There are some religious systems that try to teach, you know, the Lord saves after you do your best. It's a Mormon doctrine. They believe that you do your best work and then the Lord will fill in the rest, but then they think they're going to be God of their own planet, so they're jacked up already. But here's the point. The point is that I have nothing to do with my salvation other than responding to the grace of God. Amen? He did it all. He paid the price, and it's for him and him alone. Again, there will be no criticism on that day of God. The desperate woman will see not only the righteous goodness of God, but she will also see her own sin and rejection of him uh, more clearly than ever. And I hope her daughter was really young because if she was, her daughter's in heaven. Amen? Amen. One can only hope and pray she came to understand how the Father himself knew the pain she experienced. See, when we come to the Lord and she's saying, oh, well, he doesn't understand. Are you kidding me? He sent his son to die on purpose. My son did not die on purpose, and if it was up to me, he would not have died at all. But the Lord sent his son to die out of love for you and out of love for me. That's our God. Amen? He understands what it's like to forsake his own son. He allowed him to endure the torment, the suffering, and the shame. Who would want, how many of us who are parents, if our kids were getting tortured, would, would be busting through 500 people to make it stop? We would do whatever it took. You have to go through me. Almighty God allowed it because he knew in the end it would allow all of us in this room and all who surrendered their life to the Lord to spend eternity with him. Amen? We serve a God who's a God of redemption. Notice it says at the end of verse 12, it talks about, or in verse 12, it talks about the book of life. 
The ultimate deciding factor of who goes in the lake of fire is the book of life. The ultimate deciding factor is how a person stands with Jesus Christ. The phrase is found eight times in the Bible and always refers to the list of those who are saved. So the book of life is always referring to people that have been born again. So when you see that, those are the people that have been born again. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know for sure? Don't leave here without it. Those who are in this book will not be judged at the great white throne judgment, but they will already have faced a judgment of another sort. Again, the believer's judgment, we've talked about that enough. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one may receive things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So it's almost going to be like, for sake of a better term, a, a, a trophy ceremony in a sense, or the Olympics, where you come before and based on how faithful you were in using the gifts God gives you, he's going to give you rewards. And many say it's going to be crowns. Most people believe we will take the rewards and we'll throw them back at his feet as act of worship. And I want to have something to throw back. How about you? Amen? And so the believer's judgment will be based, again, on how faithful we've been to serve the Lord. It will, it's not the judgment of heaven or hell, but it's God judging our faithfulness. The dead were judged according to their works. And again, if you're not listed in the book of life, you will be judged by your works. And those who do not come to faith in God will be judged and condemned by their works. Good works cannot save you, cannot pay the price for your sin. If good works could save you, why did Jesus go to the cross? Amen? Last two verses or three verses. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his work. So death and Hades, these are the death. The sea is speaking of the terminology here when you look at the original language. There are people that have died without a grave in a sense. So the people that have died, they don't have a grave. They died, you know, and the, and the sea swallowed them up kind of thing. And so all those, whether they have a tomb or not, whether they're buried or not, whether they are or not, they've all gone to Hades, right? And now they're going to come up and stand before the Lord to be righteously judged by him. And they're going to be judged for their works. Again, the Lamb's Book of Life is going to show that they're not there, and then their life is going to be examined before the Lord. And the end, the end it's going to end in hellfire. Look what it says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. As believers, we die once and we live forever. Unbelievers die twice and they're tormented forever. Amen? We are risen from the dead. Hades, again, the temporary place of the dead awaiting the great white throne judgment after which they will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. All unbelievers are there now. That's where they are. And again, the second death, the lake of fire is the second death. It's the one that is final, that never ends, that there's no reprieve from. This is it. Final verse. And anyone not found written in the Lamb Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. Is that pretty clear? So your name's either in the Lamb's book of life or you're going to spend eternity separated from Almighty God. How do you know if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. We're called to confess our sin and to repent. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Repentance means I'm walking, I'm living my life, I'm on the throne of my own life, I'm headed to hell without Jesus, I have no relationship with him, and now conviction comes. He draws you unto himself as he does all of mankind. Salvation is offered universally, must be accepted individually. It's when you recognize, yes, I'm a sinner, yes, my life's a disaster, yes, I need Jesus, and repent means to change your mind, to change your heart. It's where you turn around and you say, Lord, I want to make you more than just Savior of my life, but I want to surrender my life to you fully. I want to make you Lord of my life. Here's the great great, great, great thing about being a believer. It's not just all this in heaven too. We have a glorious life here and now. And our eternal life doesn't start when we die. We have eternal life right now. Amen. And so for believers, the, you know, your best life now is not you getting a bunch of stuff. Your best life now is giving your life to Jesus Christ, walking with him, having the assurance of heaven with the Lord. And guys, it changes our perspective on everything. See, God's not giving us a spirit of fear. We don't have to be afraid because God is in control and God is faithful. I've read the end of the book. I know there's turmoil in the world around us. But at the end of the book, as we've seen today, God wins. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.
you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you don't know for sure that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, a lot of people have been calling me and doubting. Let me just first say this. We'll go over a couple minutes. Are you convicted about your sin? Who's convicted about their sin? Who gets more convicted the closer you get to the Lord about your sin? That's the Apostle Paul said, right? So the closer we get to the Lord, the more we're convicted by our sin. Now, the world has a, the conscience, which is the Holy Spirit, outside of them, and they have a, some level of right and wrong. But when you're born again, the Spirit goes from being with you to being in you. And now you hear him loud and clear. And now you're more convicted. And then the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. So if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, and you want to have the promise of eternal life, it's not just to get out of hell free card. You need to be ready to say, I'm, so, I'm ready to surrender. I'm all in, Lord. I give my life completely to you. Because I want to tell you what, serving the Lord in the worst of times is better than serving the world in the best of times. And that right now, what the best you get in the world is the best the world is going to get. And this is the worst we're ever going to experience because for us, it only gets better because heaven's coming. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I do pray that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. It says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Christianity is not a hope so, it's a no so. It's not something we we're hopeful for. We know that by the promises of God, if we believe and we confess, that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. We get a down payment on heaven in the Holy Spirit. He will never leave us nor forsake us, and our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you're here this morning and you've never fully surrendered your life to the Lord, or you prayed a prayer years ago, but your life hasn't changed, and you're just not sure about where you are with the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to confess him right. I'm not asking you to join a church, but just to say, you know what? I need to confess him and I need to get right with him. Anybody here at all? Don't leave here without him. Anybody at all? Lord loves you. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the promises found in your word. Lord, we long to see you face to face. With whatever amount of time we have left on this planet, may we busy about your work. May you find us when you return for us, busy about your work. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray in all God's people said, amen. amen.